This morning's scripture reading is from the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to Galatians. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Good morning. Yeah, I just want to say uh, it's a privilege for us to be part of LMCC and to be part of the leadership in, in whatever ways we may contribute. And uh, this church has just been a great joy in our lives and a place of connection and encouragement. So... Uh, that's we're just really grateful, <clears throat> grateful to be here as a family. And um, before I, I, when I was milling around before the service, Nick and Moses told me that once you become a pastor, it's like you're, you have tenure, and so it really doesn't matter what you say anymore. You can't be fired. So I'm doubly encouraged by that. Um, but to, this morning, uh, the title of the, the sermon is "Gentleness and Fruit," and uh, so we're going to talk about the quality of gentleness which is number eight in this list of virtues that we've been looking at this year. And then we're going to spend some time on this idea of what it looks like to grow fruit or bear fruit. And as we begin, I just want to say both these ideas, gentleness and fruit, or producing fruit, are, are just not very New York City. You know, they're not very New York City. And um, one, of, one, of the, one of the thinkers that I've gotten exposed to this year through a movie, Stanley Milgram, He's a social psychologist, and the movie's called The Experimenter. It's very, very well done. came out last year. He did some, a series of research at Yale where, the, where he got people to, to... They thought they were shocking students who got wrong answers, and it's pretty shocking uh, results. But some of his other work is about cities, and he's wrote a series of essays, and one is called The Experience of Living in Cities. And see if... See if he lived in New York. He did his research in New York. Uh, see, if, see if this rings true to you. In the interest of psychic economy, the resident of New York City simply learns to tune out many aspects of daily life. Additionally, though, however, kind of in contrast, many persons have noted that when they leave the city and return to New York, 
from an extended time away, they often feel themselves confronted by brutal ugliness and a distinctive frenetic atmosphere. That is just New York. And uh, actually, I love New York. Um, I don't call it ugly very often. But when I leave and come back, which I do with some frequency, it does hit me. Just the sort of gritty, dirty, industrial feel of of this place. And um, it's kind of like an old haunted amusement park in some places. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Um, But it's not gentle. And it's not a place where you think of, of bearing fruit. Uh, some of you, I know, you, this is Lower Manhattan Community Church, and some of you don't realize that there's another part of Manhattan called Midtown. <laughs> but it happens to be, uh, during the day, one of the densest places in the world in terms of people. And, you know, as you, when you're trying to make your way through Midtown, there, you can be three, four rows deep of groups of people going this way and that way. And I don't know how people don't die more often <laughs> just trying to navigate the intersections. And it all comes together in the subway. Because in, uh, in the interest of economy, the MTA has decided that exits and entrances can be the same turnstile. And so I don't know if you've ever found yourself there with your card ready because you're going to beat that person that's trying to come to the exit. But that's New York. It's like one constant game of chicken just getting around all the time. Uh, it's, it, it seems like you're, not, you're just going to lose if you're gentle. And then the idea of bearing fruit. I mean, many of us, we like to eat fruit, and it's a thing that shows up at that stand on the corner. But growing fruit, the, the organic process of cultivating a plant that actually produces something you can eat, is probably not something many of you have tried lately, uh, unless you live on the outer side, you know, like the outer, outer, outer limits of Queens or something. Uh, you know, it's just not, there's no place to do that here. We like progress, but we write our progress in steel and concrete. That's how we make things grow and change. And so these two ideas of gentleness and fruit, they just don't seem to play here in New York City. So my, my task is kind of large this morning. I want to sell you on the idea of gentleness. I want to say this is actually something, believe it or not, you want. You want. And then I'm going to talk about how you get it. How you get it. So the sermon has two parts this morning. The first is the, the what and the why of gentleness. And the second is the what, why, and how of bearing fruit. First part is the what and the why of gentleness. The second is the what, why, and how of bearing fruit. And and we're going to spend some time here in Galatians 5. Well, first of all, gentleness. Gentleness, I I think we can see it. We certainly recognize its absence because the opposite of gentleness is harshness. And harshness is kind of this cold, driven, calculating, relentless approach to people that all of us have been on the receiving end of. You know? and some, I think it can play out at different levels. We can be harsh in our judgment of others. You know, we really don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We can be harsh as we interact. We seize situations. We, we control them, often very adeptly with the, way, the words we use, not necessarily very obnoxiously. And sometimes harshness is just, it's just outright cruelty, manipulation, verbal abuse, and control. And, and we've seen harshness. So gentleness is the opposite. Gentle, gentleness is not what you think. Gentleness is not passivity. It's not weakness. It's not um, someone with low self-esteem who just lets everybody run over them. That's not gentleness. Here's how I like to define gentleness. Gentleness is being freed from the need to force yourself on the world. 
It's being freed from the need to force yourself on the world. Gentleness is personal power under restraint. It's regulating your personal power, whether that's social power, intellectual power, political power, institutional power. You, you don't use all of it. You hold some of it back. You don't roll over people because you don't have to. It's, that's gentleness. It's, it's the freedom from having to force yourself on the world. And so I, I don't know why Ryan picked me to do this because I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a gentle person. And uh, New York has certainly not made me gentler. And when you're on the, on the escalator in the subway and somebody stands on the left side, See, some of you don't use the subway either. I, you, know, you don't understand that that's, that's like the worst crime you can commit during rush hour, to stand on the left side of the escalator in the subway. There's nothing gentle going on inside me when somebody does that. But if it would happen, instead of thinking, oh, that's just a stupid tourist that didn't do their homework, I would say, well, that's just a new person and they don't know. And I was one of those new people. And you know, I give them grace. So I wouldn't have a harsh judgment. Uh, gentleness in a conversation looks like letting other people talk and not being right on the edge of your seat ready to, well, well, well. That's, that's what harshness looks like. It's, it's really listening to people, not having to control a conversation, not forcing your way in. And, and of course, gentleness in, in sort of the most obvious way is the opposite of being, uh, it's, it's, the obvious, it's, it's, it's the opposite of brutalizing the people in your sphere, of influence, and um, you know, as a leader, there was times. It's never went well, by the way. When I would play the "I'm the pastor" card or "I'm your father" card, it never goes well, right? It's, it's for some reason, it's just not nearly as persuasive to the person I'm saying it to as it is to me. It's not really gentle. It's 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 forcing yourself on them. So. Gentleness, it's, it's being, what is it? What is it? It's, it's being freed from the need to force ourselves on the world. And like all the other qualities we've looked at, it's supremely shown to us in Jesus. I mean, Jesus personified gentleness. He was an advocate for gentleness. He said, blessed are the meek, which is the same Greek word, because they will inherit the world. They'll inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. So he advocated this gentle spirit. He, he also described himself as gentle, and he said, come to me if you're weak and you're tired and you're worn out because I'm gentle and humble and my, my burden is light and I'll give you rest for your souls. That's in Matthew chapter 11. And so he described himself as gentle. He was also described as gentle. And uh, we, as we get towards Easter, the week of Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday and uh, Jesus is described as a gentle king coming to his subjects riding on a donkey. So Jesus personifies this thing of gentleness. What is gentleness? It's, it's, it's this freedom from having to force yourself on the world. So why gentleness? You know, why should, why is that, should that be attractive to us? Because I don't think most of you got up as, on January 1st and said, I think I want to be more gentle this year. This doesn't really hit the list and, and, and we have mixed feelings about it. It's kind of like what Ryan said a few weeks ago about patience. It almost seems like gentleness could be a liability. You know, certainly being too gentle could be a liability. We won't want to be, you know, an obnoxious jerk. Uh, we have words for people like that. But we, we don't want to be too much of a pushover either. I mean, you just, you just can't survive in any world, especially this part of the world. 
if you're too gentle. And I understand that tension. I, I, uh, part of my work, my, 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 my day job, so to speak, part of it includes fundraising, and I, I've gotten immersed in, the, in this community of people who are fundraisers and go around to all the events that fundraisers go to. And I just, there's this feeling that the people who are really aggressive are going to be the ones that are going to get, they're going to, want to, they're going to make their number. And the ones who are nice are not. Now, of course, the ones who are nice have friends at the end of the day, and the ones who are aggressive don't. But, you know, it's just there's a tension. There's a tension around this. Like, how, how's, how can this really work? So why gentleness? Why, why is it something that, that we should embrace as a positive quality? Well, first, I would suggest that gentleness is a quality of the kind of people we like to be with. I mean, at the end of the day, would you rather hang out with, spend time with, have a boss, spouse, or friend who is gentle, or a friend, spouse, or colleague who's harsh? I mean, what would you pick? It's kind of obvious. In David Brooks's book, um, The Road to Character, he talks about. I lost my plate. He talks about what it's like to be around a gentle person. This is what he says: They are silent when unfairly abused. They are dignified when others humiliate them, restrained when others try to provoke them. They are not thinking about what impressive work they are doing. They are not thinking about themselves at all. They just seem delighted by the flawed people around them. They just recognize what needs doing and do it. They make you feel funnier and smarter when you speak with them. They move through different social classes, not even aware it seems that they are doing so. And after you've known them for a while, it occurs to you that you've never heard them boast. You've never seen them self-righteous. You've never, noticed, you've never sensed a dogged certainty in them that's alienated. They aren't dropping little hints of their own distinctiveness and accomplishments. Who would you like to be with? You'd like to be with the gentle people. You would. So would I. So that's the first reason I would suggest to you that Gentleness has some value. It's the kind of people we'd like to be with. The second is that if we're convinced that God will take care of us, gentleness is the logical way to relate to the world. If we're convinced that God is our Heavenly Father, then he'll take care of us, then we can be freed from that need to fight for ourselves because God will take care of us. He will. We're trusting somebody else ultimately to make our lives work. And the third reason I would suggest uh, in terms of why gentleness is because it actually may be an advantage in life. Dare we say a competitive advantage. There's a couple of verses in Proverbs that are really interesting uh, about, about gentleness. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, like it diffuses difficult situations. It's actually the best play from a practical standpoint. And there's a, an even sort of odder verse in Proverbs 25, 15. It says that a gentle answer can break a bone. So it doesn't sound like a very gentle thing to do. But the idea is that it has power to shape and influence. And there's some research that indicates that perhaps uh, that's really true. Uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, which if you're in management or leadership, you've probably read, uh, or you should, uh, is a study of what makes a great company. And the way he measured that, the way, they identified his can- way he identified his candidates for great companies is that they had market returns for four, times, uh, four times the market, and there's four times market value in their stock over an extended period of time. And they ex- needed to excel 
an industry peer. In other words, they were a breakaway firm that did better than everybody else in their industry. And so they found these companies that fit the profile, and they dug deep into them to figure out what was it that made them go from good to great. And they were shocked at what they found in the CEOs of the great companies. It was completely contrary to what you think. You think of hard-charging, driven, larger-than-life, very egocentric types of leaders. And that's not what they found at all. This is what they found. He said, in contrast to the very eye-centric style of the comparison leaders, that's the average companies, we were struck by how the good-to-great leaders didn't talk about themselves. During interviews with good-to-great leaders, they talk about the company and the contributions of other executives as long as we'd like, but would deflect discussion of their own contribution. When pressed to talk about themselves, they'd say things like, I hope I'm not sounding like a big shot, or if the board hadn't picked such great successors, you wouldn't be talking to me, or... I don't think I can take much credit. We were blessed with marvelous people. And it wasn't just false modesty. Those who worked with or wrote about these good to great leaders continually used the following words to describe them. Quiet, humble, modest, reserved, shy, gracious, mild-mannered, self-effacing, understated, and did not believe their own clippings. So Collins and his team at Stanford were shocked by this, these findings. But it's almost as if, you know, in 1995, he discovered what the scriptures had said 3,000 years ago, which is that gentleness really is a better play. It's a better way to live your life. So why, what is gentleness? It's being freed from this need to force ourselves in the world. Why? Because uh, it's the kind of people we want to be around. It's, it's a logical conclusion if we believe God's going to take care of us. And it actually might make you more successful. So now we turn to the concept of fruit. And the reason we're going to do that is because gentleness, like all the other qualities we've looked at, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so forth, is really not the point of this passage that we've been reflecting on. It's not saying, hey, this morning, if you're not gentle, try harder this week to be gentle. That's not the message. It's really not the message. It's, it's, it's saying instead that, Gentleness, and now we understand a little bit of what it is, is the byproduct of something else. Gentleness flows out of something else. And that's where we get into this idea of fruit. That's where we get into this idea of fruit. Paul says, These are the, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, produces in your life. So the first point was the what and why of gentleness. And the second part of the sermon is really, let's talk about the what and the the what and the why and the how of bearing fruit. And fruit is, uh, so so we'll do that. So let's start with what. What do we mean by bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit? What's what's important about this kind of a picture? I want to answer it twice. So the first answer is that it's, it's really about a change process that is organic. And again, in the city, we're all about change. I don't know if you've noticed, but New York City is changing all the time. And uh, we've lived here only a year, and the skyline from our apartment is different now than it was when we moved in. It's significantly different. And there's, there's things we can't see because new buildings have come up in front of those things. And um, so we're into change, but it's very much change that we control, that we plan, that we execute, that, that's physical and mechanical and instant 
Jesus and Paul, as they talk about how people change, could have used those types of metaphors. Uh, there were mechanical things in the ancient world. There were catapults and sailing ships and so forth. But they, did, they usually didn't. They, they camped out on organic metaphors. They camped out on the idea of, of natural things that grow to be better or fruitful over time. And so this is a, this is a different way of looking at change. It's a, change is not something I can directly control. I can't press a button and get instant results. It's more about what I feed and what I kill. It's more about how I create an environment where the right things grow and the wrong things die. It, it's environmental engineering as opposed to direct action. It, it's a little different. It's a little different. But that's what he's saying. This, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the byproduct and we'll talk about it in a second. But it's a byproduct of, of, the, of this personality, the Holy Spirit in your life. It's, it's, it's this organic thing that grows over time. And you can feed it and you can nurture it or you can stifle it and you can kill it. But you can't control it. It's a mystery. The second piece of this idea of, you know, what, 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 what's to say about the process of growth, this bearing fruit idea, is that it, it's relational. Because a couple times, as Jane read, but at the beginning and at the end, he says, you know, follow the lead of the Spirit. Uh, in the Greek, it says, you walk with the, by the Spirit, you walk with the Spirit. Like, you keep in step with the Spirit. You're tuning into a personality. And this, this plunges us into part of what it means to be a person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that you, you, as you surrender to him in faith, God takes up residence inside your soul with his Holy Spirit, his personal presence. Kind of like his soul comes in and takes up is part or is present in your soul. So this is far removed from religion as a sort of a philosophy or a code of conduct. It's about this very intimate spiritual connection with God. And once you have that connection, you need to stay in step with him. And as New Yorkers, we know what that looks like, right? Because we know what it's like to walk with somebody somewhere. We also know what it's like to get left behind. You know, you check your phone and then suddenly the, your partner's jaywalking or they've disappeared in the crowd or whatever. And so this is this, so, so what, what does this mean, this bearing fruit idea? Well, it's an organic process of change. It's a relational rhythm of change where we tune into a person. It, it's almost like you decide you want to, you, if your New Year's, New Year's resolution was getting in shape. Mine wasn't, by the way, as you can tell. Um, but if your New Year's resolution was getting in shape, you hire a nutritionist to tell you everything you should eat, and you hire you know, a, a PT, a physical trainer, and you do everything they do, and you just really turn over that whole area, those two areas of your life, what you eat and how you exercise, to those experts. You, you, you sync up to them. And so Paul's saying, yeah, this is about like growing fruit, it's organic, but it's also relational, it's syncing up with this Holy Spirit. A, a second aspect of what, a second answer is that we're really given a grid here in Galatians chapter 5 with which we can... We can analyze our lives and where we can sort of say frankly we can kind of keep score and we can say how am I doing and, and, it, and it even tells us why it's hard to do better you know, one of the things that Brooks says in, in the intro to his book is that for a long time he wrestled with a sense of wanting to be a vaguely moral person but he lacked a moral vocabulary with which to even have the conversation and, and to discern how he was doing and in Galatians 5, we really are provided with a moral vocabulary, with a grid. We may not like the grid, we may not like the rubric, we may not like this as our dashboard, but that's really, in a sense, what we find here in this picture of fruit. Because he, he talks about the good things, you know, 
things that we'd all like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul even says there's no law against these things. You know, none of us would be embarrassed if this was our, regi- our reputation. None of us would say, well, I really don't want my kids to be characterized by these things. You know, I don't really want to hang out, be married to, or work with people that are loving, joyful. No, we wouldn't say that. He's like, that's, that's, that these are good things. But he also talks about their opposite. And he says the sinful nature, this broken part of us, you know, if, if that's what you're feeding, this is what you get. And he talks about sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, which is putting anything in the place of God, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So he's got two lists. The bad list is longer than the good list. And, and so part of the idea of fruit is saying, here's what it looks like to be connected to God. I think Ryan said that in the first week, that the fruit of the Spirit is what happens when, in your life over time when you have a relationship with God. But he's also, it's also contrasted with what your life looks like when you don't have a relationship with God. And so on the one hand, we really don't like that. We don't like any kind of voice speaking into our lives and telling us what's wrong with us. Unless we happen to agree. But on the other hand, we need it. And we're, we're searching for it. Because like David Brooks, we're looking. We need something to help us have a moral vocabulary. So that's here. And also what we find here is a sense of why it's hard. Why this process is hard. Back in verse uh, 18, or 16, he says, uh, You let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then you won't do what your sinful nature craves. So you have this broken part of you. Uh, the crooked branch, as Brooks calls it in his book, that doesn't want to do what's good. And the sinful nature wants to do evil. It's just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature does. And so these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. When you're directed by the Spirit, you're free from the law. You're free from moralism. So it's almost like the angel on one shoulder and the devil on one on the other. But in a sense, it's worse because it's not an angel and a devil. It's God versus me in my nature. I'm fighting him, and there's a conflict there. And so the fruit, the fruit picture says, here's how you recognize a healthy tree. It's got all these things. Here's how you recognize an unhealthy tree, a tree that's disconnected from God. And so it gives us that too. So it's organic and relational. gives us a grid or a rubric to evaluate ourselves. So I want to move on now to the why. Why fruit? What's, why should we embrace it? In some ways, it's a challenging picture. It's challenging for two reasons. One is it takes time to grow fruit. And we like instant change. At least I do. Like when I decide I want to change, I want to change like that. I've been trained for that. In 22-minute sitcoms that, where the tension's all resolved by the end of the show and by excessive use of remote controls. You know, I just, I'm used to effort equaling a result immediately. So that's a little bit challenging about this organic relational picture of change. The other challenge in it for us, especially here in the overachievement capital of the world, is that we can't really take credit for the change that happens in our lives. The achievement is getting out of the way and letting God change our lives. And for some of us, that may seem offensive. You know, we're, we're always on a quest to be better people. Uh, we find the best 
wisdom, the best advice, the best trainer, the best mentors. We put it in play. It, you know, we very much are the captains of our faith. Fate, and this is suggesting that now, at the end of the day, you know, the real journey is surrender, as Matt said last week, to God and His power and His agenda, and letting Him change you. And so that's sort of the challenge side of the why, but there's also a gift in this. Because if any of you have tried to change yourselves and failed, this is good news. This is good news. If you've, if you've worked hard to be a less angry, a more patient person or a gentler person or a more loving person or a person who in the midst of turmoil in your life can have a sense of peace, if you've tried that and failed, this is good. This is good news. You know, it's good news because there's time to change. It, it, God isn't expecting you to be instantly different overnight. In the ancient world where the Bible was written, the most common types of fruit were grapes and figs. And it typically took four to five years for a fig tree or a grapevine to mature to the point where it could produce fruit. Like, there's time. There's time. God, God is not expecting us to instantly change Overnight, It's an organic process that unfolds. And that takes a little pressure off of some of us. And some of that sort of takes away some of the pointlessness that some of us might feel. But it also, it, it's, it's really about changing the recipe and bringing us a sense of hope. Because, it, again, it's not really about us changing ourselves. It's about allowing God to change us. It's changing the formula. It's introducing a new variable, the Holy Spirit, to fight this broken part of ourselves called the sin nature. And again, if you've tried and failed, that brings you hope. It brings you hope. So why fruit? Well, it's because we need time and because we need someone from outside of us to change us. And the last piece I wanted to talk about briefly is how. Like, how do we do this? How do we... Okay, Chip, so it's an organic process. We cultivate, we, we feed, you know, we, we kill the things that, that are negative. We, it's a relational process. We tune into this mysterious person called the Holy Spirit. You know, what's that really look like? How do we really do that? And I, and I think that um, there's three parts of that, three important pieces of it. And, and so if you were growing a plant, you know, you would... I don't know if, if you've done that. I did this. I tried to do this in a former life. Tried to grow roses. Yeah, somebody's laughing. James, that you? Yeah, so they're very temperamental plants. And do much better with shrubs. You just stick them in the ground and everything. They take care of themselves. But So roses are kind of high maintenance, and you have to read all the instructions, and which I don't like to do that either. But you find the right spot in your yard, and you, you plant them there, and then you fertilize the soil with everybody's marketing rose rose food and so forth and then you have to watch them carefully you have to prune them and you have to look out for a couple things uh out in the country where i come from uh you have to look out for animals that will eat them and you have to look out for bugs and so you have different remedies for each malady that can kill your rose bushes and so it's this process it's 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 it's, you're always kind of in this loop of examining the the plant and seeing what it needs and if it hasn't rained for a while, you water it and so forth and so on. So it's an iterative loop where you're always checking in, always adjusting the mix of what's going on so that that plant has a chance to thrive. And So that's the big picture of what it looks like to be in sync with the Holy Spirit and to let him produce fruit in your life. You're always adjusting, always working to tune in, always listening. 
to, for him and what he wants you to do. How do you do that? How do you do that? Three things. In some ways, I would just visualize it as a three-legged stool. We've got to be immersing ourselves in one way or another in Scripture. We've got to have quiet in our t- spaces in our lives to reflect. And we've got to find Christian friends that can help us discern where God is taking us and how he's working in our lives. Those three things, we need, to, and we need them all. Now, a stool won't stand unless it has three legs. And so you know, Scripture is a significant thing because it's, it's the voice of God, the word of God, uh, recorded for us in the past, brought to life for us in the present by the Spirit. It's, God's Spirit is never going to lead you to do something that's contrary to the life that he's laid out for us through Jesus and, and as it's recorded in Scripture. And you, know, you may not have a lot of time to read. You may not even be a reader but there's lots of ways to ingest it into our lives today. You can listen to it. You can watch it. You can get a podcast and, and tune into it, you know, have it downloaded onto your phone for your commute on the train. It, but it needs to be there. It needs to be there. You won't always get something out of it. It's kind of like some meals are great, some meals are average, but it's, got, it's a part of our lives. We need to have that in there. There's a second, the second leg of the stool is quiet, and we need to find spaces in our lives where we are quiet and we reflect on where we've been, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old ancient practice called the prayer of examine, where you, you sit back and you say, where are spaces, it's even suggested you do it every day, where it's suggested, but I, like to, I don't have, to, I, I get to it maybe every week, but where did I sense God's presence? Where did I sense him working? Where did I sense he was you know, really excited about something that was going on in my life? And then where was a place where I felt I was missing him? I mean, you know, positive and negative close and far, prayer of examine, some kind of quiet practice of examination. And then the third thing is spiritual friendship. It's having other people that are listening for the Holy Spirit and are able to say, to speak into our lives, to even confront us if we need it, and to push us towards this life that he has for us. Three legs of the stool. How do we sync up with the Spirit? How do we cultivate this life? Scripture, spiritual friendship, quiet. So what's all this mean uh, this morning? As you think about gentleness, you think about fruit, what do we do with it? I'd like to suggest two things. One is that if you look at your life and you say, you know what, I'm more gentle than I used to be, that's a good thing. It's not just a good thing, though. It's probably a God thing. If you say, I'm more gentle, I'm more patient, I'm more loving, I have more peace than even in the midst of, of challenge than I used to be, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's God working in your life. Thank him for it, and, and try to discern, if you can, how you've been tuning in to that spiritual reality in your life, because you want to keep doing that. On the other hand, if you look at your life and you say, I'm not very gentle at all, or you know, one of the others, and you say, I'm just not that at all, I'm not very patient, I'm really angry, or, or whatever, deal with it differently. Deal with it this way, with two questions. The first question you ask as you look at one of those things that's just not where it should be, ask yourself, how am I relating to Jesus? Instead of, oh, I've failed, I need to try harder, that kind of thing. Don't don't go there. Ask yourself, how am I relating to Jesus? Have I really understood who he is and what he offers me, that I can surrender to a life with him in faith that will forgive me and that will bring this spiritual presence into my life? Because that's the core and that's the foundation of this. And then the second question to ask yourself, if you'd say, oh, yeah, Chip, I've done that, I've done that, definitely. 
The second question is to think about, well, how am I out of sync with the Spirit? How am I missing God in the rhythm of how I live my life? Because, you know, if I have this relationship with Jesus, or at least I think I do, but I'm still, you know, I'm, I don't have, I'm harsh and I'm angry and I'm jealous and all those other things, then I must not be feeding the life of the Spirit. And see, guys, that's a completely different approach to weakness in our lives than, ooh, this is a problem, now I'm going to try harder to fix it. Saying, this is a problem in my life, and now I'm going to go back to my relationship with God, and I'm going to, I'm going to dig into that. And I'm going to say, how am I relating to Jesus? And if I, I think I've bought in and I've signed on, then how is it that I'm missing him in the rhythm of my life? Because that's where this is coming from. And I think, in the sense of producing durable change in our lives, there's a lot more possibility in connecting to him than trying harder on our own. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that uh, you don't ask us to do anything without giving us the resources to do it. If you could just reassure us of that this morning, if you could just make that real for us this morning, we would live differently this week. So help us get there. In Jesus' name, amen.